Well, for all you Irish folk out there, can we just agree that that's a far better set of lyrics to go with that tune? Um, it's been redeemed, thankfully. You know, if you know Danny Boy, uh, that's one of the more depressing set of lyrics, I think, that I've, than I've ever heard. Uh, this has joyfully uh, bought it back. I think Danny Boy talks about going and dying and that you, your foot will stand over the grave or something like that. Sort of depressing song. Uh, but this beautiful tune, we love the tune, right? And it's wonderful to see, probably, I don't know if this was a born-again Irishman or woman who decided to put a little bit better words and uh, the conquering of death. And uh, what a great joy. To have that confidence. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 4 this morning. Uh, when pastor's away, we've been trying to chip away at the book of Psalms. And uh, I think we have 150 opportunities. I think we've done about 20 of them or so. We've, we've uh, getting sort of an updated list. We recognize that we had sort of passed over Psalm 4. Uh, but I think in God's good providence, uh, uh, we'll see the significance of perhaps why he wanted uh, this subject matter to be treated on the first Sunday of the new year of 2018. Uh, uh, God's, remember, his providence is personal and precise, and it is that for us here at Grace Church of Menor. So we're going to uh, take a look at this psalm here together and hopefully be encouraged and strengthened uh, as God really gets down into a, a very personal level in relationship to suffering and anxiety and pr uh, producing realities. We, uh, we heard in the hymnody that we sang this morning, uh, confidence in, in God in relationship to that. But here, once again, we're, we're sort of throwing open the hood and we're getting a real detailed kind of view at how God wants us to work through uh, difficulty and to achieve peace. And if you read your little blurb in the bulletin, we're talking about this morning specifically a pathway to peace in 2018. A pathway to peace in 2018. So that's our subject matter this morning. If you're taking notes, I would just encourage you to write down three simple words. Uh, three simple words. Uh, the first is prayer. Uh, the second is perspective, and the third is poise, prayer, perspective, and poise. And we're going to be looking at uh, those three words uh, in relationship to how the author here, uh, Psalm 4, uh, deals with them. Uh, so let's start out by reading the psalm, and then we'll have a word of prayer together, and then we'll look at what God has for us. Uh, this morning as we think of the first Sunday in the new year, 2018. I have heading my Bible that this is an evening prayer for deliverance. You'll see, uh, again, that's not inspired, but you'll see why the editors uh, include this idea of being an evening prayer. We'll make note of that uh, as we uh, share some comments on it. Uh, then we also have there that this is for the choir director on stringed instruments, and this is a Psalm of David. Uh, so this was a, a, a song that was meant to be sung regularly uh, by the covenant community, the, the nation of Israel, 
and uh, obviously as such has lots of truth that uh, the Holy Spirit through David wanted the people of Israel to meditate on uh, as they walked through challenges in their life. And here in verse number one, the psalmist cries out, answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Thou hast relieved me in my distress, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Verse 4, tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying... Who will show us any good? Lift up the light of thy countenance upon us, O Lord. Thou hast put gladness in my heart, more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For thou alone, O Lord, dost make me to dwell in safety. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And let's pray together. We ask the Lord for help. Father in heaven, we confess this morning that uh, without the Holy Spirit's help, we will not arrive at the significance of this passage for each of our hearts individually. And so I pray right now that those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior would, uh, would reflect upon perhaps having grieved the Holy Spirit in a habitual patterned way this week, that they would confess that and be right and enjoy uh, the Spirit's ministry this morning. Uh, For those who are walking and living in the Spirit, we pray that uh, there would be a connection made supernaturally uh, with this passage of Scripture, that it would become a well-worn passage uh, in 2018. And we thank you for that. We pray for your help and understanding its significance to us this morning. Again, we pray for our dear pastor and their family as they're away from us. Lord, we feel their absence. We pray that you would encourage them. Uh, uh, Thank you for the gift of a wonderful shepherd who shepherds our souls and and his dear wife and family. And we just commend this time to you uh, in, in their life. So, Lord, we pray for your blessing. We pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. We're sitting here on a a page in Scripture, and we're looking at Psalm 4, but if you back up and look at Psalm chapter 3, uh, and if we had time to read through it, we'd recognize that Psalm chapter 3 is dealing with a threat. Uh, It's a different kind of a threat than Psalm chapter 4. In Psalm chapter 3, the psalmist David is concerned about a physical threat, a physical harm that was uh, the potential reality in David's life. And in Psalm chapter 3... The heading tells us that it was at a time when Absalom, uh, David's own son, uh, had formed a coup that temporarily dethroned David. And obviously, David was concerned for his own physical well-being as a result. Psalm 4 deals with another, if not more difficult reality, probably as a result of the same events in David's life. These psalms are often put together these two psalms, although some would argue uh, that they're not necessarily connected, but I I believe there's warrant 
for connecting uh, their, their, their situation together. Uh, but, but David is focusing on a different threat. Um, he wrestles not with the threat of physical harm, but of permanent harm to his reputation. And the question really that he deals with and presents to you and I this morning is a very personal question, and that is this. How do I obtain peace and sleep at night when people who are too significant and too dangerous to ignore are turning what I pride myself in into a reproach? When the people around me only converse or interact on worthless levels, and every advantage that they seek is achieved through deception. Does that reality sound familiar to any of you? Well, I know, having listened to many of you, that you may not quantify it quite that clearly, uh, but yet you felt the same way. Perhaps in your workplace, in your calling, perhaps in, in, a, in a spiritually divided family, People who don't understand who you are in Christ, uh, and the same reality exists and presents itself. Uh, so you may feel the same way. So the question this morning for us is, what is the pathway to peace given these difficult, anxious-producing realities? So this morning, David lets us in on a pathway to true practical peace. And we're going to look at that. And the first thing that he teaches us is this, that the pathway to practical personal peace begins with God-centered prayer. It begins with God-centered prayer. It's very instructive for us this morning to recognize in this psalm what David begins with. He begins with prayer. Um, he doesn't look to start sort of a contrary smear campaign on Facebook. He doesn't, he doesn't get up on social media and begin to throw up all of the reasons why uh, he has in fact been a good king and shouldn't be uh, undergoing this deceptive, worthless uh, attack on his right to the theocratic throne. No, that's not any of David's response. And in fact, when we go back and look at the history of how David handled this, he, he, he left the throne. He, he didn't combat his son. And, and even as he was leaving, there was a, a, a man on an opposing hill who was hurling insults at David, mocking him. And of course, David always is surrounded by a few mighty men of valor, and they were begging him to please let them go and discharge this infidel. And David humbly said no. You see, David wasn't relying upon his own hands and his own word on the matter. He was completely putting himself in the hands of Almighty God. And so this morning we want to learn very well the lesson that prayer is the first and primary place that we will find practical peace in our life. So what does this prayer look like? Let's take a, a detailed view of it. It's very short. That's the first thing we want to notice. 
It really is only verse number one in the psalm. Uh, two through the end of the chapter, or the end of the psalm, really is not a prayer, but it's really the result of David's thinking and meditating uh, on the situation really birthed out of verse number one. It's a very short reality, but it's a, it's a prayer where God, in fact, does what God always does in prayer. You know, lest we think that prayer is an opportunity for us to come and change God's mind, what we find in reality that happens is that prayer is an opportunity for God to change your mind. And that's, in fact, what goes on. And David literally undergoes change as a result of coming before the Lord, rehearsing some grand realities as defined by the God of heaven. And then everything sort of falls into place and in perspective. And peace is its result. And safety is its result. So let's take a look at this, play, uh, this, this, this short little prayer in verse number one. First of all, David honestly entreats God. Uh, he, he comes to God. He, he's not about keeping up appearances. There's no long preamble here. It, it comes out of a very uh, uh, visceral reality. David had been dethroned. He's being attacked by his own son. As Psalm 3 reminds us, he's fearful of his own life. But what Psalm 4 is, 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 is helping us to understand that there's even a greater, more personal reality that's going on here. So David cries out to God and he says, answer me. And he talks to God in the imperative mood. And that might arrest your thinking. We, we don't want to think of this as in an imperative of a superior to an inferior, but rather this is what our, our grammars teach us is an imperative of entreaty. This is a, a longing from an inferior to the superior God of heaven. And the reason why it's written in the imperative mood is because the inferior recognizes there is no other source of help. This is it. This is the only place. And therefore, the whole disposition and tenor of the prayer time just elevates in intensity. Because there is no other hope. And there is no other help. And folks, when you're pursuing peace in your life, know this, that God is okay with you marshalling up a level of intensity in your prayer life as you cry out to Him because He is the exclusive resource for peace and safety in your life. So it's okay. You don't have to keep up appearances when you're with God. You know, some people look at prayer and they wonder, ah, you know, why, you know, I'm not going to tell God anything he doesn't know. No, that's completely contrary to what the Word of God says. The Word of God says God is absolutely in complete control and in full knowledge of everything that's going on. Therefore, that ought to release your full ability to communicate everything. You know, he's your very best friend. Uh, I have some good friends here on this earth. And when I'm in their presence, I don't sit there thinking, oh, I can't tell them this. They know that already. I can't tell them this. They know. No, the very nature of a best friend is that because they know you so well and they know all that's going on in your life, that liberates communication. Doesn't it? Yes. The same thing is true in God. He, his omniscience should liberate communication in your life. 
not hinder it. He knows. So let him have it. Give it all to him and all of its ugliness and, and longing if necessary. And he will begin the business of, of doing what he does so well and bringing peace and safety back into your life. So, so he honestly entreats God. Secondly, we see that, that relief then in prayer uh, David wisely predicates it on the fact that God is righteous. Uh, we, we have the translation here, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. We probably better translated, O my righteous God, would probably be uh, better. God is sort of um, uh, the subjective idea there. Um, so this is, this is a predicating, uh, God, I long for you to respond to me because you are a God who loves righteousness. You are the God of righteousness, of my righteousness, of anyone's righteousness. The only reason why we know righteousness, God, is because it, righteousness exists in you. You are the very definition of it. So I am appealing to righteousness that exists in you. I'm making that appeal. Um, we also see here that relief is predicated on God's faithfulness. You, you have relieved me in my distress before. You see, this kind of, this kind of uh, ability to communicate with the God of heaven comes as a, rich, as a result of a rich relationship with God that was developed on the backside of the desert while David was a little boy watching sheep. And in those moments, God was preparing David for this grand catastrophe in his life. So you can't expect to have this sort of full assurance in your life and prayer if you're not daily making a habit of getting to know the God of heaven. Getting to know the reality that God does relieve you. He does bring relief. The idea here of relief is, uh, I don't know, is any, are you, any of you claustrophobic out there? I get awfully claustrophobic. You know, I have to usually be driving the car, uh, but if I'm in the back and the heat's on and I'm in there, it's, yeah, better have those little bags because it's coming. <laughs> and, uh, and there's nothing like opening the van door. You know, how do you deal with claustrophobia? Well, you roll down the window and you stick your head out and your, you know, your tongue lags in the wind. And you finally get relief. Well, this is the, this is the picture here. This is, uh, you have relieved me. This is the Hebrew idea of being, being claustrophobic and being hemmed in. And you have brought me out into a wide open place, dear God. You have brought relief in my life. And I remember that. And oh, when God does that, my friends, mark it well. We're, we're taught here that those are wonderful things to remind God about. You have relieved me, dear God, in the past. So it's predicated on God's faithfulness. And we also see here that if relief is to come, uh, relief is, will come uh, uh, very simply uh, based on grace. You know, David knew that there was no, I'm going to use some Latin here, but if you watched, um, now this might be dating me, but remember the Disney show Aladdin? Remember the genie guy? He used this word, quid pro quo. Okay, do you remember what that is? Uh, there's no quid pro quo with God. 
help from heaven is not because God owes something or is indebted in any way to any one of us. And isn't that a great joy? That for the most godly of us and those of us who are struggling the most, when God acts, He is always acting in grace. He is always acting in mercy. Because the reality that you and I exist in sin is true. So again, that, that sort of communication short-circuiter, that, oh, I'm a terrible person, I can't talk to God right now. This is a man after God's own heart. This man was the most righteous, perhaps. Well, we could argue there was issues in David's life for sure, but the point is, is that a man we often hold up as being godly, even he, when he came to the Lord, confessed the reality that if help were to come, it would be a function of grace. It's always a function of grace. And folks, that ought to liberate communication. God is a gracious God. God loves to help. He loves to help. He loves to help. So David, having adjusted his heart in a God-centered prayer, uh, having been literally changed by God uh, in, in his thinking about this whole situation, the idea that if God is going to help, it's, uh, it's a humble recognition of grace. It's not anything that David necessarily deserves. That, that God has, in fact, been faithful in the past, and he can help, and if he thinks it is best to help, he will help. If he chooses not to help, he's still righteous. I didn't hear an amen. Let me say that again. If he chooses not to help, he's still righteous. And that's a hard thing to deal with. I understand that. But these, this is what David is, this is what prayer is doing to David. It's aligning his thinking. It's helping his expectations to be to be tuned to theological reality rather than his own self-centered, man-centered longings. And that's important, a very short prayer. So David, having adjusted his heart in a God-centered prayer, is now able to articulate a proper perspective. And this is really where we begin to see the Lord doing an amazing work in David. Uh, as he wants to do an amazing work in your life. Um, first of all, we see that uh, uh, with this new perspective, this God-centered perspective, is that David is able to accurately understand the problem. Verses 2 through 5. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call, trembles, and the, the issue really that we're looking at is verse number two. He accurately understands the problem. Again, he's not keeping up appearances here. He comes out of prayer, and he now is able to assess the situation. The Hebrew here translated sons of men in verse number two is a very uh, uh, important word. This designates that there are men in David's life who are too significant or dangerous to ignore. They have position and power to destroy and bring David's name and calling into absolute disrepute. You know, the reality is we're always dealing with 
challenges in our life. And, and David always had his enemies. And, 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 and we learn that, you know, there are there, some, some folks we just sort of walk and live with. But there are those peculiar few who are just too dangerous and have a, have a, have a power, unlike any of the others, to really do harm. And here, David was facing those men. We've already mentioned this is probably his own son. Uh, the harm that he's doing is, is literally going to affect not only David's life, but the whole of the nation. Uh, Absalom probably had no respect for his father for obvious reasons, perhaps. Himself being an unsaved Israelite. Uh, but but this, is, this is of a whole different level. We see here that the issue is a long-sustained reality. How long, how long, how long is, is, is sort of the disposition. This is the tenor of, of David's uh, challenge here. Uh, and they are turning David's calling from God into a reproach. Remember, David didn't sign up to be the king. David was content to sit on the backside of the desert and watch sheep. But God had bigger and better plans for David. And he called him to be the administrator of his kingdom. David was the king. David was the intermediary between God and the nation of Israel. And, 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 and this was what was under attack. Um, you know, many of you have, number one, we're all called by God to be a believer and because God has called you to be a believer, in some sense you didn't sign up. God miraculously grabbed you out of the, your, your sin-sick condition. And, and he, he overcame you and He became Lord of your life. And, and now the, the result, the net result of your calling seems to only be complicating things. At work. At home. Your extended family. I don't know if you've ever felt, you know, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> you know, but God, this is my calling. This is, these people are too dangerous to ignore. So how do I handle them? How do, how, what do I do when they get in there at work and the political realities and, you know, and things start to stew and, you know, what, what do I do? How, how do I handle that? Um, all of their interactions, David says, are worthless. And every advantage they had was achieved through deceptions. Have you ever felt like that? Every time you go to try to interact with these people, it, it always goes to like the, the lowest common denominator. It's always talk about he and she and crazy gossip and... You know, you try to sit down and eat lunch and have a conversation and you, you find yourselves in the midst of filth. And then as, 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 as time goes on and advancements are handed out, you, you know, you're, you're very calling. You, these people are running past you in advancement. And often it's a function of just deception. There's no quality in what they're doing. Have you ever felt that? That's well, exactly what David's going on. And there is no 
more uh, um, extractor, greater extractors of peace. It's these people that cause you not to sleep at night. It's these people that cause you not to feel safe. I guarantee it. You know, you can take somebody coming and hitting you over the head, you know, physically, and maybe you couldn't, but the point is, that's a threat of a different kind. This is a, this is a different reality that's plaguing David. Um, and we want to see that. So I would argue that this sounds uh, like many of you uh, that I've had opportunity to pray with and to commiserate with and to, um, to wish things were different for. The reality is that's not going to happen. There is going to be no different reality for you. I wish there was. I wish you could all come and be pastors here at Grace. We, we actually don't have that problem. Our greatest issue is who's going to get all of Virginia's baked goods on Monday when we sit down at the lunch table. So uh, we have a different reality here. Some of you who are in the educational realm. I've heard you say this. All I want to just do is teach. Some of you in the corporate realm have said, I just want to do my job and go home. Some of you with divided spiritual immediate families say when you get together, can't we just get along? You know, no peace. No peace. Well, hopefully we're beginning to understand the pathway to peace. You know, again, stay away from Facebook. Stay away from self-defense. Move into theological prayer. We'll see, we'll see that here in a minute in, in, into prayer. You know, these are the insomnia-producing agents in your life. The very calling of your life is obstructed by those who seem bent on frustrating you simply because you, who, you, you are who you are in Christ. Anytime you're together and relationships seem possible with these people, the conversation is always taken in a worthless direction. Again, advancement seems to be a matter of deception. Uh, but God enables us to accurately understand the problem. And I hope you're seeing that. This is a problem, and this is an accurate way to assess it. Uh, the tensions at this point seem insurmountable as our inner man is filled with turmoil. Sleep and a sense of safety depart, don't they? Well, not only can he accurately define the problem, he accurately defines the reality, and this is the, this is the unraveling. This is the peace-producing agent, so don't miss it. Verse number 3 and, and, and David is essentially rehearsing this in his own heart. And, and it's not that he actually goes to these people and, and tells them, although I think at some level he's sort of garnishing his spirit to be ready to do that. But no, this is him meditating in his own heart, bringing peace and, 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 and a right understanding back to his, his life and his thinking. But know, verse 3, that the Lord has set the godly man or woman for himself. The Lord hears when I call. You know, reality can be a funny thing sometimes. As human beings, our first notions is divine reality through our finite senses. David was a man who, in spite 
of his finance, uh, of his finite senses. Should I say that again? In spite. So what does that mean? That means regardless of what my five senses are saying, I'm going to spite those. I'm going to disregard those. And I'm going to live underneath a different reality. Right? Are you with me? Amen. Thank you. In spite of those five senses, I'm going to live in light of reality as God defines it. God defines reality as this, that he has set apart the godly man or woman for himself, and God hears the prayer of the righteous. David confessed this truth in his own thinking. This is what he was meditating on. This is what he was mulling over. This was particularly true of David, who was the anointed king of Israel. But certainly we are all called in Christ. And we too have the same truth that operates in our life. So we begin to see the assurance building in David's heart. As he begins to accurately assess reality as God defines it. So assurance of peace and safety is most precious, can I say, during the times of moments in life that are contrasting. This verse number three starts with a but. And this is really where we begin to get uh, a little bit of inkling into understanding the value of these people in our life. You know, these people who we live and work with have value You see, this truth is never more precious when life is congruent and going happily. No, it's more precious when things aren't going well in your life. It's at those minutes, it's at those times, I'm sorry, that we call to remembrance this truth, isn't it? So assurance of peace and safety is most precious during contrasting moments in your life, in the butts of your life. When you have to literally, in your own mind, take all of that sensory information and you stop it and say, but God knows the righteous man, even though these people have no clue, (laughs) right? So we're thankful for that. Assurance of peace and safety, we see as a discipline to the mind. He says, but no. He doesn't say, but feel this. Oh, it'll be so wonderful. (laughs) He never does. Was David feeling wonderful as he's walking away, looking at his beloved Jerusalem off in the distance? The very calling of God gone in his life for no fault of his own. And he's being mocked as he walks. Is that happy? Fun? No, it's not. It's a discipline of the mind. You see, senses, you've got to know something. You've got to know. So assurance is a function of knowing something. Assurance of peace and safety is a function of a settled, eternal, unchanging state that David was confident of. He says, one thing I know, he says this, 
that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. This is a settled state that I exist in. Just like you, dear friend, you exist in a settled state. You are, regardless of what the world is pressing into your life, your identity, and by the way, this is your only identity, you are in Christ. Nobody ever, you don't allow anybody the emotional, uh, the, the emotional, what's the word, influx to, to somehow erode that identity to think that you're something else. No, this is your identity. Uh, this is where we, you know demure or disagree with a lot of our friends who are working with addicts who would argue that, you know, you are always an addict. You know, no, you are always in Christ. That's your identity, period. And then we go from there. Uh, and this is what David's saying. This is a settled state. This, this is an unchanging state. This is regardless of what's going on. This will always be your possession. This is your moment of greatest assurance and your greatest, this is what you pride yourself in. Can we use that verbiage? That I exist in this settled state. Assurance of peace and safety is a product of living a godly. It, 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 he says uh, the, the Lord knows a godly man. It, it's a product of obedience. So, so this settled state exists regardless of uh, obedience but we apprehend it as we live obediently, and it's more strongly our possession. David was working things out in a godly fashion, so he was confident. Assurance of peace and safety is the personal concern of the loving Lord himself. The Lord has set the godly man for what? For himself. He, you know, you're not sort of you know, sort of like the Mormons teach, you're kind of godly for another so that you can kind of create this other universe and be the gods of other universes and good luck, hope it goes well. You know, there's all kinds of crazy ideas out there. But here you are set apart for the Lord himself. Amen. Himself. He doesn't relegate you to someone else. You are personally loved known and eternally bought for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. And you will see him and you will forever be with him, the Bible tells us. So assurance of peace and safety is the outcome of well-studied and practical theology. And I love this. This is, he hears when I call to him. This is, this is just simply a life that Regardless of how I feel, God has revealed himself to me, and he says he hears me. And I don't put a comma there and say, but there was this one time that I was having trouble and I cried to the Lord, and I really don't think he heard me. You know, David was a good theologian. He put a period where God put periods, and he got rid of all those commas. And that's what his faith is all about. That's why you're here, because God wants to get rid of all the and, buts, perhapses, possibilities. He's daily dealing with that, and, and he wants you to put a period where he puts a period. I hear when you call, period. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> that's it. And it's up to you. 
Yeah, and I'm looking at some of you that are, you deal with the answer by God's grace. Period. Period. So these assurances are amazing. And then he accurately determines the remedy. You see, this whole anger now kind of turns into pity. You see in verse number four? You know, David in other psalms will say, oh, destroy them, kill them. <laughs> Not in this psalm. He says, hey, if I'm you, you who are worthless and you who are turning my glory into shame and you who are advancing by deception, my recommendation for you is to tremble and stop sinning. My recommendation to you is to meditate on who God is. So this whole potential anger and upset now turns into, really, we could put it in, in church language, evangelistic zeal. There's a sense of pity that sort of enters into the psalm for these individuals. David's saying, look, get right with God. You know, that's his longing. Um, so God-centered perspective, nourished in God-centered prayer, then allows for a rich, rich God-centered poise. And this is the piece, verses 6 through 8. Uh, again, we have this sense of um, poise. Many are saying, who will show us any good? This is, this is sort of this pity again. Dave, David, you know, well, <laughs> why do you think many people are saying, who will show us any good? The, these aren't necessarily those dangerous individuals but these are the victims who, whose lives are highly impacted by those dangerous individuals and are sort of beat up, and they're wondering why things are the way they are. David has pity on these individuals. He knows why things are the way they are. And he, he essentially says, many are saying this, and rightly so. Rightly so. Well, let me tell you people, you who aren't specifically the problem, but who are victims of the problem, I have pity on you as well. I want to minister to you. Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. Together, Lord, bless us, he essentially is saying. He, he, he looks at these people and himself and he says, God, don't only just bless me, but together, let the light of your countenance be the possession of all of us. He has the poise to care and to pity, verse 6a. He has poise to minister to those caught up in calamity, as we've already mentioned in verse uh, 6b. And he has a poise to testify, verse 7. You, Lord, have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. Uh, so he testifies to God's power in the very heart of man. He, he says, God... You know, you'd expect uh, uh, certainly joy and circumstance, but here the point is, is that gladness is put into the heart of David. Uh, and he testifies to this reality, and he's simply saying, look, God has this capacity and ability to put gladness into your heart, dear friend. He's an amazing master of the soul, and he can do that. He's done that for me, and it's been a gladness that is incomparable to any kind of gladness that exists in the world today. Hear me, he says, hear me. And he has poised to testify to God's exclusive power to provide peaceful sleep and safety. Right? That's, there it is. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. See, kind of this sort of 
is. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for thou alone, exclusively, folks, you've got to believe that. Nothing out of your mouth is going to change the situation. Stop trying. Often that only complicates things. <laughs> if you're anything like me, learn just to be quiet, to theologically pray, to theologically rehearse, to have pity and minister about the goodness of God. But let God do all the talking. Amen. Right? So, do you understand perhaps why this is called an evening prayer for deliverance? When is this a good psalm to rehearse? Well, these are the truths that the Lord wants you to rehearse as we lay awake at night, sleepless, thinking about the day that was and why things happened as they did. This is the psalm that the Lord wants us to mull over as He wakes us perhaps before the alarm clock sounds, as we dread the events that are before us and we're fearful. These are the, the thoughts. You know, 2018 has threats without and anxiety-producing realities within. God's intention, and hear this, God's intention for allowing these people and circumstances in our lives is to teach us the pathway to peace. The frequency and intensity of those who try our testimony and seem to broker in nothing more than worthlessness and deceit can become faithful friends that teach us to keep the pathway of peace well-worn. Well-worn. Prayer, an eternal perspective, and a spirit-empowered poise progressively become the hallmark of your character. In a word, we become more like Christ, don't we? You know, if you're here this morning, and this all sounds like just craziness to you, you know, you've probably never really understood any kind of peace in your life. And, uh, you know, that's a very tough condition to be in. I was in that condition for a long period in my life. Everybody sitting in this auditorium was in their life, and it's very painful, it's very personal. Uh, and all of the things that people claimed would minister some sort of peace, some sort of relevance, some sort of significance, perhaps those have all been taken away, and you're just left, literally, overrun. Well, tonight, this morning, I think I would be amiss if I didn't offer to you God's perfect peace found in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, as I've been preaching, I have been helping those who have received Jesus to simply go back to square one, go back to that reality that Jesus provides perfect peace forever. Amen. You see, outside of Jesus, you are at war with God. You really probably don't have any interests in what God has to say to you. Uh, regardless of the fact that God created you, regardless of the fact that God controls everything in this world, really doesn't move you at all. You just sort of keep living your life. And for if you were anything like me, the most thing you use God's name for is as a swear word when you're mad. And, and I say that lovingly and I say that knowing full well because <laughs> that's what me, you know. It's, and then I would just 
encourage you maybe to just stop a minute and understand that God has communicated to us in the Bible. Uh, and there's a very simple message that God is filled with wrath because of our sin and our disposition to really not care for His authority in our life at all. We sort of live our lives breathing the air He created, enjoying all the goodness that's around Him in creation and the, all these things, and just never acknowledging that He even exists. Except mainly when we get in a little trouble. You know, we kind of rub the genie bottle. Well, nobody likes to be used like that, and God certainly does not either. And, and he, He's upset. But the Bible says that we have a substitute, that Jesus came onto this earth and He went to the cross and He took your sin on Himself and He bore the wrath of God once and for all so that you can know peace objectively with God if you give Jesus your life, if you recognize that His death, He died for you, you confess that and receive that as being true exclusively of any other ideas and that you want Jesus to be Lord in your life. You want Him to take over the reins. The Bible says in that moment, you're born again. That's a beautiful terminology and you have new life in Christ. So we would, we would you know, we have multiple people here who are disciplers and you don't need to talk to me. But if any of these things that I have said have really pricked your heart, just look to the person in front of you or behind you and just, hey, hey, what, what was he saying? You know, feel free to do that. Whatever, you know, whatever your sort of your reaction is. And, and I'm sure they would love to sit down with you and try to, you know, assure you that I'm not all that weird, hopefully. And, uh, and that what, in fact, we are saying can be your possession. You can know peace when you lie down and sleep and you can be assured of being safe. What a great joy. Let's pray together.